Welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Tina Muir. Hello, this is Tina Muir. I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast. Firstly, I just want to thank those of you who have subscribed to the podcast. That means every Wednesday you can wake up knowing the latest Run to the Top podcast is waiting for you. It also means a lot to me for all of you who have chosen to tune in today. I really want to thank you for listening. I'm very excited about today's interview. This was a first for Runners Connect and you're going to get so much out of it, I'm sure. So I've been thinking for a while of changing it up. Having a panel of experts, I just needed a good topic that would allow it. So on my blog recently, I wrote about cross-training, and I've been thinking about it a lot recently as I've now incorporated it into my training. Until recently, I was too scared of it. I thought I was too good for it, and I always associated it with injury. I just wasn't interested in it. We hear experts telling us about the importance, and we know even the Women's World Cup soccer champions... They are all multi-sport athletes. So why are we not listening to this? Well, if you're like me, your excuse is probably you love running, you know? You don't want to do other forms of exercise. But now I'm in the routine, I actually find I'm enjoying it. And hopefully, by the end of today's episode, you will be prepared to give it a try if you don't incorporate it already. And you'll be able to see the results for yourself. Especially as today we're going to talk about lots of different ways you can do it and how you will actually become a stronger runner for it. So why is this a special edition? Well, I have three guests for you, including one American record holder, two sub four minute milers, and one coach to to Olympic athletes. So who are these guests? Well, Alan Webb is the American national record holder in the mile with his 346.91. Wow. He has other PRs of 143 in the 800, 330 in the 1500, 739 in the 3K, and 1310 in the 5K. He represented the US in the 2004 Summer Olympics in the 1500, and he's now focusing on the triathlon. Darren Brown is also a sub 4-minute miler with his 358, and he was one half of the first father-son duo to accomplish this. He won the inaugural Boston Road Mile, and coaches his wife Sarah, who has PR'd in every distance, most recently running a 4.03 in the 1500. Darren is the marketing manager for Elliptigo, the world's first elliptical bicycle, and if you haven't already seen it, you need to check out our show notes to see the videos of Shaq and Usher using Elliptigo. It's pretty amazing to see. Thirdly, my guest is Linda Huey. Linda is the founder of Huey's Athletic Network and Complete PT. She pioneered the use of water rehabilitation with Olympic and professional athletes in the 1980s and has worked with athletes all over the world. And she's actually written five books on water exercise. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to discuss why cross-training is no longer a dirty word. And you may not believe this, but you can actually have fun while cross-training, especially on the elliptico. How cross-training has helped many of the best runners in the world run faster, even after injury. Why pool running is so effective and how it prepares you for races. 
how pool training can help you train harder more often without injury. And as a bonus, Alan Webb is going to share the experience of the day he broke the American record. This is a great interview and I know you're going to love it, so I won't hold off anymore and let's get to it. Welcome to the Round to the Top podcast, guys. I'm really excited to have you. Well, thank you. Okay, we have have three people here. We have uh, Alan Webb, Darren Brown and Linda Huey. So each of them are going to provide uh, their perspective on cross-training and this should be a really great podcast for you all. So I've given a short bio in the intro, but um, could each of you tell me a little bit about what's going on in your world right now? What are you up to? So if we st- just go alphabetical, make it nice and easy. So Alan, if you start. Um, I'm Alan Webb. I'm uh, currently uh, an aspiring triathlete, uh, a former runner trying to cross over into the triathlon world. So I think that some of my perspective would give a, a pretty good uh, uh, crossover to cross training and how that how that has helped me um, uh, further my running and then eventually uh, uh, help me in uh, uh, become a great a better triathlete. Yeah, we're excited. And uh, Darren, if you go next. So my name's Darren Brown. Uh, I'm a former runner, but currently the marketing manager at Elliptigo and. Uh, I also am a coach to my wife, Sarah Brown, who is a professional middle distance runner for New Balance. Um, basically, my relationship to cross training is you're going to hear the story of somebody who is absolutely bah humbug on the concept for the majority of his life and career and who has been completely and totally transformed and seen the benefits and results that can be achieved through it in running um, through my wife's usage, my own usage, and has led to me you know, really trying to champion that cause here at Olympia. I think a lot of people are going to be nodding their heads along with that with uh, (laughs) not believing in it to start with. And Linda? Well, I started a long time before you folks came on the scene, and I was working in the 80s with Bobby Kersey at UCLA and all of his top track athletes like Jackie Joyner-Kersey and Gail Devers and Andre Phillips and Jeanette Bolden, and I was working with the sprinters and jumpers, so when Willie Banks got hurt or Mike... Powell got hurt, they all came to me, and they came with that sense of, ah, going to the pool, what's that? (laughs) But after I gave them a tough, take them to their knees workout, they would come back and say, man, I don't want to have to go back and see Linda again. (laughs) So that was where it all started with was track and field. I was a sprinter myself at San Jose State with Tommy Smith and John Carlos. I was the only woman who got to train with those men there. And so I have a long history in the sport. And I hurt. I injured my foot uh, in '75. I broke my foot, and I started cross training back then. I think we all would have to admit we only cross train when we're hurt at first, and then after we understand the importance of it, then we begin to incorporate it into a long-term pattern. Yeah, definitely. And uh, interested to hear a lot more about that. And I think you hit the nail right on the head. So let's just uh, start with. Um, well, this podcast, as we know, is about cross training and its importance. So uh, let's talk about why runners have such a hard time doing anything but running. So Alan, first to start with you, did you cross train during your peak as a runner? Like when you when you ran your American record, were you cross training or was that something that came later, like Linda said? I did. I did. Um, now that uh, in 2007, when I set the American record, I wasn't doing a lot of aerobic cross training, but I was doing quite a lot of ancillary exercise. Um, general strength, core strength, weightlifting, a lot of weightlifting, um, intense weightlifting. Um, but in the uh, um, in the years leading up to that, 2004, 5, and 6, 
I was doing a lot of swimming, um, uh, aerobic cross training, um, which uh, I believe, or I it's it's, it's easy to, to to look back and, and see how that base training during those years leading up to 2007 allowed me to do a lot of the anaerobic. Um, uh, a lot of the anaerobic and absorb the anaerobic work that I that I did in 2007, um, uh, which uh, it, you know you put all the pieces together um, uh, allowed me to 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 really take it to the next level for uh, for that for that uh, for that special that special moment um, mm-hmm. in 2007. So uh, it was it was it was it was it was a, a staple of my training um, all, all all along. So you weren't someone that uh, you know kind of had to be convinced of it. It was it was basically you went you know like the majority of us who kind of didn't believe in it. You you saw its importance from the start, or was it just kind of a coincidence and you kind of realized it afterwards, looking back? Um, I mean, a, a, a little a little bit of both. I, I think that I it was I was sort of in a unique situation because I started out. I, I really my athletic or endurance sports athletic career started as a swimmer, and so I was originally converted from swimming to running hmm. and so all of my early success especially uh, um uh in in high school at least the the first couple of years of high school um I, I didn't do any formal running training until high school but i essentially had been training cross training um up until that point and so i i succeeded very very early quickly in the sport of running not because not because I, well I, I was physically talented as well, but I had put, I already put in so much work aerobically doing the, doing cross training, swimming, i.e. swimming, that it, 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 it showed up when I, um, did, uh, started formally training as a runner. And so I, 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 I was comfortable, comfortable, number one, comfortable to, to swim, um, and confident that that would have a direct effect on my performance as a runner. So then later on, when I when I when I added back in cross training um, in uh, as a professional, um, it 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 was the the pieces were all there um, physically and mentally. Huh, interesting. That's that's great to hear a bit of backstory there, and uh, makes a lot of sense. And kind of one of those things that you kind of realized it at the time, but it really hit home when you reflect a little bit. Uh, we'll come back to uh, that special day in a, in a little while. I, I'm sure um, our listeners are desperate to hear about that, so I will ask you about that special day um, in a few moments. But um, Darren, could you just tell us, as you are also a sub four minute miler, um, what about your cross training history? I mean, you've told us that it was um, not something that you know you believed in at the start, but um, you did have an eight month non weight bearing injury. Was that kind of when it? came to light that how much cross training would help you or was there something else that made it made you realize you know you'd think that eight months off of running would teach me something about cross training and it <laughs> turns out that I'm a lot more hard-headed than I thought it was. <laughs> uh, no so you know cross training to me uh, again I think cross training gets a bad stigma and I think we're starting to to progress in our thinking of cross training and just Alan said it eloquently when he, he said I did a lot of the ancillary work that all that stuff is considered cross training and I think if more runners started thinking about cross-training for, in the sense that they already do. I mean, there's very few runners who don't do some sort of core ancillary, whether it's drills, whether it's weightlifting, something like that. And if they start to look at aerobic cross-training in that same format and and look at it for some of those ancillary benefits that it can provide, even outside of the aerobic component, um, for just 
good balance of musculature and, and, and skeletal uh, system engagement, I think really that's where we'll start to get this kind of mind shift around the benefits that cross training can provide to runners during competitive time periods. Um, for me, that connection was never there. And even though I did a lot of the other ancillary work that we, we normally don't refer to as cross training, I was really big on uh, being an athlete in college. I really wanted to to get into the gym. I wanted to lift weights. I wanted to be flexible. I wanted to be dynamic and explosive. And that was very important to me. I thought that was a, a big aspect of my non-running routine. Um, I also was, was lucky enough that I ran at the University of Texas where we had an underwater treadmill. And because I was running, I never looked at that as cross training. But I, to date, think that underwater treadmills are some of the best ancillary devices that we can use for running because of the resistance of pulling through the water, engaging the hip flexors, using the drive, and then also allowing me, I used to use it as a way to build mileage throughout my, my college career. So when I was looking to move up in mileage, I'd start with doing a lot of that work on the underwater treadmill, remove some of that. This is before Alter G's came around. This is, you know, before I, I truly felt that you know, ellipticals and, and other weight-bearing, uh, you know, bikes, uh, so non-weight-bearing but non-impact devices could really provide benefit, which, um, again, after I kind of retired from the sport and suffered the injury to my ankle, I suffered a, a complete shattering of uh, my tailor and navicular bone in my ankle um, in 2010, and that's what led to me being non-weight-bearing for eight months. Uh, it was about a year and a half before I was even back trying to run again. It was uh, definitely a transition time period for me where I did do a lot of cycling as I was coming back just because I started to feel incredibly unfit. I wanted to get back into a healthy lifestyle, but never really entered my mind at that point that it could be transitioned to uh, good run training and, and start to build a base for run training. My my transition and light bulb moment really came um, when I began coaching my wife. So my wife was an NCAA champion in the mile for Tennessee uh, came out of college in 2009, made a world team indoors. Uh, and while she was at the world championships, she started suffering from some really bad Achilles pain. Uh, that Achilles pain seemed to start snowballing and really, really got worse by the end of the 2010 year in going into that summer. And she ended up having to come back from Europe a little early from her European racing season because she couldn't get the proper treatment. It was starting to swell and she was, she was having a lot of discomfort. Uh, for the next year and a half, she really didn't train or compete at all. She'd try and run for three weeks. It would flare up, and she'd have to back off of it. Um, at the end of 2011, she had a couple surgeries to uh, to kind of fix a little bit of the issue that was going on. There had been a lot of built-up scar tissue, um, and, and things really just needed to be kind of patched up. Uh, and that took us all the way until the beginning of May when she was going to be able to start running. Um, so at that point, I kind of took over coaching her and training her, and the only thing we could do was cross training. And so mm -hmm. we started hitting it really hard. It was a, a combination of pool running um, and uh, cycling and then indoor elliptical for as much as two to two and a half hours a day between the mix of the three. And she's she's a very, very driven person and she was willing to put in the work um, so much so that when she was finally cleared for some on land running, um, we were able to to kind of re-engage with this this three time a week session where she was doing kind of high intensity track sessions three times a week um, and everything in between was non-weight bearing or non-impact weight bearing on an elliptical in the gym. Um, and with five weeks to go to the Olympic trials in 2012, which was going to be the end of her contract and, and presumably career at that point, uh, she started this program after 
two weeks, which was the final date for the qualifying window for the Olympic trials, which she said, all right, if I'm going to go out, I want to go out to the Olympic trials. This is where I want to go out. Uh, she opened up at uh, 1500 and ran the Olympic trial A standard by a tenth of a second. Wow. And we said, hooray, we're going to the trials. <laughs> like, we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to go run the first round and then we're going to go have a big steak dinner, a bottle of wine. And we're going to say, Hey, it's been a great career. I'm retired. You're retired. Let's figure out what we're doing with our lives. Um, Little did I know that she'd have the fastest last lap in the first round, qualify for the semis, have the second fastest last lap in the second round, qualify for the finals, and mm-hmm. go on to run 407 and finish fifth at the Olympic trials in 2012. This is off five weeks of running. Wow. Light bulb goes off. <laughs> this, this girl, I mean, a lot like Alan, is so naturally talented and, and has built up this huge aerobic base of fitness through cross training that if I can keep her healthy, she's going to perform. Mm-hmm. And she's done just that. We've kept this proactive approach for the past two years. She's gone on to run PRs in every event from 800 to 8K. She just ran 403 for 1500. Uh, she run 201 for 800. Um, you know, she's really, really staying consistent and healthy now, and and we're seeing it pay off in her results in running. So that was the big light bulb moment for me. I'd like to say it was me, but it was really watching my wife do the improbable and what I used to consider impossible. Wow, what a what a story there. That is, I mean, if, if anyone is listening right now and they're not smiling, I mean, something must be wrong with you because that, that's an amazing story right there. Linda, how about you? Um, what has your experience been with at- athletes with their attitude towards cross-training? Uh, you kind of uh, glanced over it for a second earlier, but do people usually welcome it, take it as a challenge, or is it kind of difficult to keep them motivated? Well, you sort of drag them kicking and screaming into the water the first time or their coach has it mandated it and they come to the pool. But I just want to point out to you guys who may not remember this or may not have been around at the time, but we found, what year was that? I guess it must have been about 85 or 86 with Mary Decker Slaney. She came out of the water and on her first day out of the pool, she ran a world record in the 2,000 meters. <laughs> so that's when we knew we were onto something. Yeah. And then I worked with Florence Griffith Joyner before Rome and then before um, Seoul in 87 and 88, she had a hamstring strain. And her first day out of the pool, she ran her fastest ever, 300. Wow. So we, we knew that people could come out of the pool and be fast. And this is for sprinters. I know you guys have a whole different set of qualities that you have to have as milers. But these sprinters have to have this explosive power. And my theory is that by pushing the arms through the water against that resistance so hard at high speeds, now, we put them on a tether in shallow water, chest deep water. Actually, a little bit lower than chest deep. You want to about the crook of the elbow. If you want to get world-class speed, you got to go a little bit lower. And that by pushing those arms against the water, the arms get so strong, and we know that the arms run the sprint machine. Mm-hmm. The arms are important for milers, less important as you get the longer the distance. But even last, some, last September when I was up in Mammoth at Snow Creek and took J.D. Boyd, one of our top American marathoners, into the pool, he was happy with getting his arms stronger. You know, he could feel that his arms were having to work in the water. So there's that crossover. But I think my first moment was that I, I was able, I competed on Wilt's Wonder Women track club. Wilt Chamberlain had a track club in the mid 70s, it was 74, 1974. And I was competing on that team. And I, they were short a sprinter and I had been injured with an Achilles injury, just like your wife, unfortunately. Mine never got to the surgical stage, but it was, it had the crepitus, the creaking sensation. It was swollen. And I was swimming and I was bicycling. Because I, you know, people that love to work out aren't going to just stop working out. They're going to find something they can do. And that was what I was just keeping myself sane was the way I looked at it. But 
they said our track, track coach's name was Tracy Sunland. He now runs all the rock and roll marathons, as some of you have heard of around the country, and I think the world now. And Tracy. you know Tracy, yeah. Well, Tracy, Tracy said to me, okay. down the road from us here. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? Are you near San Diego? We are. We're in Solana Beach, just north of San Diego. Uh, don't you love Solana Beach? Boy, I love that. Well, I lived in Carlsbad at the time, and we were the La Jolla Track Club became Wilt's Wonder Women. And so I was riding my bike up and down Highway 1, up, El, up and down El Camino, and I was jumping in a swimming pool. And I had about a week. To, they said, we need you in a, it was an indoor track meet at San Diego. And they, they needed me to anchor the relay. They were going to let me, they were going to get a big enough lead that they could just hand me the stick and let me bring it around one lap. It was just, it was a, it was a sprint medley. And the last lap was just a 160 one lap and so I got the stick and I didn't even feel my arms or my legs because they weren't really in the gear of running you know they just weren't used to that sensation so I just took the stick and just ran on autopilot got it around me won the event but it felt a little weird you know to do that so it wasn't real cross training until I started actually running either running in the deep water with the running motion or putting the feet on the bottom of the pool and feeling that proprioception that sprinters like to feel in order to really run fast. So that, so I've had many light bulb moments of my own and then the ones with Florence Griffith Joyner and with Mary Decker Slaney. Joan Benoit was in my pool. I wasn't working with her, but um, Jackie Hansen, Jacqueline Hansen, who was the former world record holder. She was working for me at the time and she took, because they were friends, she took Joan into the pool and for, there were nine weeks between the time she had knee arthroscopy and she ran the Olympic trials. And in those nine weeks, she was in the pool and she was getting ready. And um, she made the team. She did. We all know she won the first gold medal for women's marathons. So this goes way all the way back into the 80s when we were, we're your grassroots, folks. <laughs> we're where it all started. And it's it progressed up. I'm so glad it's filtered out into mainstream track and field. When people were writing articles about me in every magazine and newspaper around the country in the 80s and the 90s, I was the only one doing it. But now I'm no longer being called to come teach it all over the country like I was because everybody's doing it and everybody has learned how to do it. So it's become a thing that everybody does now. Well, it's it's so cool to hear, and I wouldn't be doing my job and pointing out that Mary and uh, and um, Jacqueline are both very avid elliptical riders now. I'm actually riding a uh, ride called the Death Ride with Mary this weekend. It's oh, say hi to her for me. <laughs> I will. I'm going to see her tomorrow night up in Tahoe, 129 miles, 15,000 feet of climbing. And she's oh she's an absolute monster on the elliptical. I'll bet she is. I'll bet it's a great new thing for her. Yeah, her she's loving. Her coach was Doug Brown. He put a PO2 mask on her while she was doing her deep water running, the pressure of oxygen, so she couldn't. She had that. It was making her feel like she was training at altitude, even though she was at sea level in a pool in in Eugene, Oregon. Now I wasn't coaching her. I was just I was just saying that she was the one who came out and did the world record. I don't want to be claiming any victory for her, but I do know her. I've worked <laughs> sure. with her. Yeah. So Linda, can you tell us just a little, uh, you're going to mention it uh, in your article which is coming out on Runners Connect soon, but can you kind of tell, you you talked a little about the form in running, is it kind of the sprinters tend to stay in the shallow end and the you know longer distance tend to stay in the deep end or how does that work? Well, that's how it tends to work out. It isn't necessarily that's any kind of firm law, but you can start an injured sprinter in deep water and as they can tolerate more weight bearing, then you move them to high chest deep water then mid chest deep water and then down to the crook of the elbow as the injury the weight bearing injury heals they can get to where they need to be and distance runners 
if they've been doing so many miles that they're getting overuse injuries, that's when we take them to deep water. We just don't want any impact at all. We'd rather have zero impact. But we, I think that one of the things you wanted me to point out is that you were doing the full running motion when you were starting to do your yes. bicycle. Yes, your, your I running. definitely was. <laughs> and, and, and when we run, we normally, you know, the, we have the four-leg reach, and then you push off. You have the catch phase, then you pull over, and then you push off. But if you want to go for any speed and get the cadence right for high-level competition, you, we only do the back half of the running motion. So the knee's coming up, and the foot's going directly down and back in a straight line. It's not doing any bicycling at all. You're just getting that quick speed of the up and downness of it. So much like tether, high knees, just doing high, high knees. Knee, high knees, but not any higher than just um, 90 degrees, just 90 degrees of hip flexion because you don't want to do anything abnormal. You want to stick with what you would normally do. Now, sprinters might lift to 90 degrees. Distance runners don't. They lift to more like 45 or 50, maybe 55 most. What do you think you guys lift to? Depends on the time of the race. I've seen Alan drive pretty hard down a home stretch. <laughs> now, granted, I was probably watching him from behind. He was probably like 20 meters ahead of me. So <laughs> we'll keep that in the end. <laughs> are you known for your sprint, for your speed at the, at, in your kick, Alan? Uh, at certain times, yeah, I was, I was actually, I was more of a time trial. I, my best was in the time trial paced races. Um, but, um, I, I had my moments where I, where I could close. So you're being my... modest there. <laughs> you, you don't make team, you don't make teams in the USA without having a good, a good kick. I can yeah, tell you yeah. that. Good kick. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. Okay, so Linda, um, do you want to give us some kind of uh, feedback as to why pool running is so effective? Like you said about, you know, building your arms and uh, those are, you know, what power you forward. But what, is there any other theories that you have behind it that um, that resistance gives you extra or maybe, you know, what you were saying about um, just feeling like you couldn't feel your arms and legs because you were so used to the resistance being there? <laughs> yeah, well, um one of the things that I love to do, especially when I'm coaching world-class people, if I haven't been on the track circuit for a while. I worked at, for NBC, and I worked for Bobby Kersey as his sprint coach, water rehab coach in 88. And I was in the track world from 68 to 88, and I thought, okay, that's enough. But I took, I focused strictly on water, and I was working with pro athletes here in Los Angeles. Um, but what I loved to do during the time when I knew all the athletes, and I knew who their competitors were, and I knew – their history. I knew that this one had beat that one in Rome, and this one had beat that one in Rieti, and I knew all of the different stops on the on the course and um, in the program, the European Circuit. And I would set back. I was working with Valerie Briscoe for a long time, and I would put one of her major competitors on the her inside. Maybe it's a 200. I put Merlene Audi, the Jamaican, on her inside. Put someone else, Marie Jose Perec, the French woman, on the outside of her, and I'd have her run things, doing the mental work. And I'd talk her through what the distance that she was running and tell her where she's doing. So it isn't just the physical work that's being done, but the mental work to it and the visualization of where she is on the track. I'd say, okay, you're coming out of the turn. Now go catch Marie. Go get her. And I could see her pick up the effort level and go for it. And adding that mental component helps the crossover because otherwise you're just doing the physical work. Where's that mental work that comes from all those track workouts of having to run next to people and having to meet and match their effort? So you have to put you have to put that into the workout as well. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I think that probably helps a lot with motivation in other ways. In that, you know, one of the main reasons people don't like cross training is because they say it's boring and their mind is just counting down the minutes. But if you're doing things like that, then you're you're focusing on you know what you want to be doing and 
like you said, getting yourself in the right mindset. That's that's fascinating, really, really interesting. You're, th there. you're having to think the thoughts you would have to think when you challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. It's that moment of truth thing. Of, do I have it? I don't. Hurt. It hurts like hell. Am I really going to be able to do this now? Pushing through the pain and going and summoning up the courage to do it. And if you do that in a workout, just like you would do on the track, if you do it in the pool, with the same thinking, the same thought of making that decision and going for it. That's, I think, what gives the people the courage that they're going to need when they go back to the track or, or to the roads. Yeah, definitely. And do you kind of uh, take your workouts as what they would be doing on the track? So if they were doing uh, what basically an equivalent in the pool? Absolutely, but it's based on time rather than distance. Okay. So when I'm working with a sprinter, they might maybe the, maybe the coach had told me I want she would have run a two four hundreds, two three hundreds, and two hundred two hundreds today. And so I will have her run that, and I just even though I use the same amount of time. I use a minute for a, a 400. I use 45 seconds for the 300. I use 30 seconds for the 200. They run faster than that, perhaps. Um, and so, But I'll still talk them through that. So the first 15 seconds are going around the first turn on 400. The next 15 seconds are going, um, running the turn. I mean, sorry, they're coming, they're running the back stretch. The next 15 seconds are running the second turn and the last 15 seconds they're running the home stretch. So I'm talking them through that the whole time. And I'm asking them to picture it and to be thinking the same thoughts they would be doing as they're doing it. So it's based on time rather than distance, and it's just duplicating the same workout. Where it gets difficult is when you're working with marathoners. Now, I would love working with either of you guys running milers because you probably, what kind of repeats did you do, like 800s, 1200s, 400s? Everything. <laughs> all, all of the above. Yeah, all, <laughs> lots of them. <laughs> lots of them, yeah. 50s, 50s. You did. 150. Okay, 150s. I love the 150s, but you ran 50s even. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But then, but then we did. Um, but then we would do, you know, five mile tempo. <laughs> you know, five. Yeah, 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 yeah. So or, the or, or mile run, you know, like you know, it was. Uh, so up to I, up to about 5k, it made sense to me. Beyond that, when I had to work with 10k runners or marathoners, I'm having to like let them tell me, okay, so where would you be on the road? right now miles so I'm letting them tell me okay there's a if we're gonna do a 10 mile let's say paced race I would have JB last summer I'd say okay now where he had a course that they ran that was a 10 miler up there in Mammoth okay now where are you turning okay at the four mile mark okay so now I'm at the four mile mark I'm telling him now you're turning so they have to be it has to be more interactive with me because I don't know as much about their distance yeah I think that's one of the reasons why I um it's not that I don't like water running it was just really hard to uh, to to be motivated to do it because um, uh, the way you described how you would take a sprinter to through their workout, um, they could they could get the mo they could truly duplicate the way it felt in, in, yeah. a, in a water running session um, be because you could keep that intensity during that, whereas. Um, I'm sure Darren can 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 back me up on this. Like when you're when you're doing like a longer, some of the longer sessions that 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 middle distance or even distance runners would do. The water running it, it becomes it's like too easy to get easy. And so <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It, 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 I don't know how to, else to describe it. But then it, then you're like this. Then you get this mental thing. You're like I'm not really going hard. You know, it's not it's not the same. It, you don't get that. That's where the coach and comes I'd, in. I'd add, have to have a coach. I'd add as well. I'd add yeah, as well that, you know, really just like to, to keep on the gas. 
Um, yeah. Whereas, like, that that's why I, I started to gravitate toward more. I was like, this is. I realized that there's there's benefits to like the neuromuscular part of it, but for but but um, it was just tough to to get both at the same time. So like, I liked to do have the aerobic part, the effort part, be something else. Like I would swim laps. I would just I I could go so much harder, and really go like aerobically, uh, go harder, doing swimming, uh, just regular swimming. And then if I wanted to to get that neuromuscular patterning, then I would go do water running, but do it shorter and more intense, where I was actually getting that full range of motion. Oh. Sure, and I I bet that when when Alan's swimming laps too, kind of like you know he's saying we we also as a middle distance runner we'll also do and especially distance runners we'll do the steady states we'll do the tempos and there's actually an aspect to some of those workouts where turning your brain off is a bonus right and and getting into the rhythm of running that you you need to find and that doesn't need to feel that needs to feel effortless it doesn't need to feel like you're having to to grind and stay on the intensity you you almost want some of those sessions to come especially at threshold level. You want them to come natural and easy, and they should they should fly by. And I, I understand what Alan's saying. Sometimes in the pool, if you try and get into that mode, it's a really fine line before you try and turn your brain off, and you're no longer working hard enough to really be at threshold level um, over those long periods of time. Um, and likewise, I mean, for Sarah, for those, for my wife, for those those workouts leading up to 2012, she was spending, like I said, that 90 minutes to two and a half hours in in the gym, and for her, a lot of that visualization and that mental stimulus was getting really, really hard to accomplish. And that's one of the things that really drove both of us to um, her utilizing the elliptigo mainly because she can now get outside and she can actually replicate a lot of that mental stimulus. Because if she had a hill workout, she can do a hill workout on the go and she's outside. She looks forward to it. It's like Alan was saying, it's, it's really hard sometimes to get motivated to go jump in the pool, even with somebody like Alan, who's, who's got a background in swimming. Um, and maybe before he became a triathlete, maybe it, it was a challenge to get on a bike. It used to be a little bit of a challenge for me to get on the bike because never really liked saddle soreness. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with the go, it just, what we're finding is a lot of runners actually look forward to the cross training aspect. It's no longer something that they fear or, or are like, oh, I'm going to be, if I got to be in there for the next 90 minutes, I'm going to be so bored. How can I stay mentally stimulated? They can get outside and still be in that ergonomic kind of upright position, which feels so much more natural. And so it allows them to, to mentally engage really well. I've got to try it. <laughs> we got we to get you that's, on that's one. What's I'll cool come down there one day. I'll come down there one day. That's Perfect. what's great about this process because you can see how just from knowledge, you can you could take take the two things you need as 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 a runner or as a distance runner and 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 combine those these two modalities. You could say, all right, we know we can get a much better steady state workout going on elliptigo, um, but we still want some of the uh, so, so, some of the the um, neuromuscular patterning um, that 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 uh, that Linda described. So you, you, and you still want that power in your arms, which you, which you might not get. The same on the elliptigo. So you, you do do yeah. s some some aerobic stuff, the higher the the longer steady state aerobic stuff on on elliptigo, and then you you can get your neuromuscular patterning going in, in the pool, doing short, intense, uh, relatively short, intense, you know, quote unquote speed sessions. And so then when you when you when you, when you come out, you've got all the tools. All you got to do is just kind of get used to running again. And how that I'm 
not going to tell the research totally right, but it doesn't take long to get that those neuromuscular patterns turned back on. It's it's a short amount of time. It's the it's the aerobic and, and, and the muscular patterning that that that, that takes that takes takes longer. Um, uh, so it's when you learn these things and apply them, it's really fun to be like, oh whoa! And now you're not all beat up, and you you've got a sustainable path that that. That, you're, you're, that allows you to, to, to continue to, to allows you to train consistently, which is the key, as Darren described in Sarah's success. You know, it, it's that's the key. Is the more you can train consistently, the better off you're going to be. Absolutely. Um, okay, great, great. I, I don't even know where to begin there. That was that was such a great discussion there, and um, I think we're going to take this even further. So I'm looking forward to it. Linda, just before we move on, I just want you to explain to the listeners why you want people tethered to the side of the pool rather than moving around. And uh, even for dis- even for distance runners, you've said this, and uh, you know they may be able to understand the sprinting side of you, but why also for distance? I like to have everyone tethered in the deep water when they're, especially when they're first learning to do the deep water running. It's a new technique that they haven't done, and because there's an attachment from the back of the belt that they're wearing onto the side of the pool, they have something to pull against and it helps lift the chest, it helps get good form, and it, uh, it provides a sense of stability from that one point that's being held steady. If they're moving, there's constantly the ability to move laterally one way or the other. There's having to turn at the side of the pool and change direction, having to get started again. Um, there's bumping into other people if you have a group that are doing all the running, but we just line everybody up. We can have like 10 people on one side and 10 people on the other side, and they're all tethered to the side of the pool, and they're all running facing each other. And we can get high intensity, great workout, with good space utilization. So we have a relatively small pool, but we can have 20 people in there doing a high intensity sprint workout or long distance, have each mile crank it up, like have them do four minutes for one mile. As I say, you guys are the only two four-minute milers I know personally. <laughs> oh, Jim Ryan, I guess I got to count him. Um, but uh, yeah. I would use four minutes for every mile and then take them on to the next one. Or, or like we say, let's all have you all run a six-minute pace or five-minute pace. Then you have to use your own internal clock to set that pace. And then every five minutes or six minutes, whatever we determined, we're on to mile two. Let's bring it up a little bit more. Bring that down 10 seconds. Bring it down from five minutes down to 4.50 or from six minutes down to 5.50, whatever you're determining. And you guys have sophisticated enough internal clocks, people that are really good runners, that they can just go right to that. They can say, okay, I'm not six minutes anymore. I'm going to go 5.50. And they can do that. So that's why I like to see the tether in the deep end. Um, two reasons is the correction of form and the space utilization. And then in the shallow end, when you're working with world-class sprinters, they're going to move all over the place if you don't tether them. <laughs> they, I mean, just regular, like if we worked with Sarah, she probably wouldn't run all over the place. We could get her running at a high-level speed. 800-meter runners are, are more modest in their sprint power. I mean, they have, good, they have good speed, and they can keep it up for a long time, but they don't have that explosiveness that a Florence Trivet Joyner had, who still has all those world records, where we had to tether her to the side of the pool and have her sprint at high speed and she could stay in one place and she could put a focal point right in front of her. With Her eyes were right there. She was sprinting right there. I was talking her through what she was running and then she could stop. And then she'd start up again. And the, I like the tether because then it's a, half of the tether is canvas and the other half is elastic, rubber tubing, I mean. And it allows for them to get that forward lean that a sprinter needs too so they can get up in the right position. 
Yeah, great, great advice there. And um, I like what you said there about um, in the deep end, because I think uh, both Alan and Darren and Sarah as well could attest to if you are doing those long pool running sessions, like I did two and a half hours once and it was miserable. But um, I remember you, uh, the turning is one of the big issues, like you mentioned, especially starting again, if you have to do a 180. And like you said about the space, um, that can be difficult because uh if you're if you you know you're traveling and you have to go in a small pool like a hotel pool i mean you've got to make a lap every 30 seconds and then also what, what you that's, said about different paces that's that's huge with uh if you have someone to pool run with i often found that i was running a different speed to what they were so you you just end up getting ahead or behind each other so very very good advice there well if you're all online and you're all just running mm -hmm. you don't feel like you're moving ahead yeah yeah uh -oh, what's happening here Linda, do you, do you think that there's something also to having the tether around around your waist as well? That's something where you're you're pushing against. Uh, it's like engaging your core a little bit, that, and because you're pulling against it, almost like a weight belt kind of feeling. Um, and you and do push that. Against that yeah. um, uh, I feel like there might be something to that too. Maybe that was my problem when I was I was doing I was when I was watering and I never was tethered. And I should have been tethered. To give me to give me something to push against, because that's I think that's, that's a big part of it. What you just said, I think you have to engage the core. You feel that belt there, and you're you are pulling against it, and it act, it reminds you to activate everything, if nothing else. It because helps with it, that same that same pelvic tilt that that they talk about for good hip mobility and running form. It helps to get that that pelvis tilted forward and not let it sag back, where you get the big sway in your back. Yeah. 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 Some people yeah. tend to lean forward. You know, they they do this. They're trying to get across the pool, so now they're running way over like this. You want them up running the way they would be running in the right position. I, I think that that that's that's one of the reasons why I I, I love the underwater treadmill. I mean, Darren, you said you, you, it's because because you had something to push against because the water is literally being pushed against yeah. your chest, and so you're upright, but you're still kind of engaging yourself. Um, so you're you're in the same position, but you're being engaged as well, um, and that that tether. I, I just using my imagination um, seems like a, a, a perfect perfect solution to that. Because um, if you don't, if you're not going to have access to, to uh, underwater underwater treadmill, um, uh, well, it's either the front with the flow or the back with the tether. You, but you need to have something that's sort of keeping you in place that you're pushing or pulling against that that helps yeah. maintain the good form. And Darren, may, may, maybe there's something to have just to, you're using your hands on the elliptical is to press. Yeah, so one, one of the things we have found with, with the Go um, is that the core actually engagement is really high despite the fact that your arms aren't moving because with how high you are off the ground, which actually isn't all that high, but being rested on two wheels and then not being uh, solidified to a seat post, you, that vertical positioning, you're actually having to counter-engage the torque that you're putting through the platform with your core. And the wow. core engagement is actually, a, it's a little bit greater than the, the resistance to twist that you get when you run. So you're getting a really good core engagement when you ride the elliptigo. You're, you're dead on. You're not getting much in the, in the, the terms of arm movement and, and resistance against the shoulders and the, the upper back and stuff like that. Uh, but in throughout the actual core, we've we've measured really high engagement levels, which is is great for the elliptigo. So, Darren, why don't you tell us just a little more about the elliptigo for someone who has never come across it, and we've kind of talked about it, so they've probably got an idea, but just very basics. 
So before I get started, if you've never heard of or seen an elliptical, I'm going to tell you to pause the podcast and uh, to Google it, because if I try and describe an outdoor yeah. elliptical, uh, actually, look over my shoulder. That's an elliptical. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's basically, it's taking the combination of an indoor elliptical trainer uh, on a slightly different mechanical platform. We've, we've really tried to engineer it to be a little bit more run specific, have a steeper return stroke. So you're getting that, that actual pull through of the leg that's more similar to when you'd be running. Um, obviously, nothing is running. And so getting those biomechanical, you know, neuromuscular pathways back is, is going to be necessary. But as Alan and, and Linda pointed out, you can do that successfully. It doesn't take a long period of time. Um, one of the benefits for us is obviously it's an outdoor modality that runners are used to. Um, you can traverse the same trails, paths, everything else that you typically would as a runner. And so the, the tendency for runners not to enjoy cross training, we've removed that. We've kept them in their element. We've allowed them to have a weight bearing, but non-impact modality that they can cross train um, behind on the back end of injuries and sometimes through injuries completely. You know, I think it's, uh, I, I'm a little misleading when I say that Sarah's been consistently healthy for two years. Um, she's been consistent in training for two years, but last year, uh, in the middle of the year, right after an indoor season where she ran within one second of the American record over a thousand meters, ran 236 um, for a thousand meters in Boston. Uh, she we had just moved out here to beautiful Solana Beach, and we were out on the beach for a run, and the sand gave way under her foot, and she actually broke two metatarsals in her foot. Um, and that was right at the start of the outdoor season. Um, for the next eight weeks, she could actually ride the elliptical pain-free, uh, even though she couldn't run. And so we did exactly what Linda was doing. We, we were transferring all of our workouts based on some research and studies that we've gotten from from institutions around the country that show kind of this one-to-one -one metabolic rate ratio uh, between running and riding the elliptical. And so if she was going to go out and do five by a mile at, you know, 450 pace, we were doing four-minute, 50-second efforts with her heart rate getting up in the proper range to, to replicate that workout in that session. Um, she came off the, the bike, and two weeks later, she ran 431 solo mile at the Jim Ryan Festival of Miles. It was the inaugural one. Uh, wow. You know, it, it, won by about 20 seconds. It was within three seconds of her current PR. But she said the same thing that Linda said. She said, I felt strong, but I didn't feel coordinated. She's like, I felt like a, a baby giraffe. My arms and legs were just kind of flying everywhere. But she's like, I felt like I, I, I could muscle through it fine. She had the aerobic strength. She had the physical strength. She needed a little more of that neuromuscular connection. Um, within the next two weeks, she went to USA's and finished fourth in the 1500, ran 407. And two weeks later, she ran a new mile PR of 426. So six weeks after taking eight weeks off, she was able to return to better form than she had ever been in before. And, and really, again, it was like Alan was saying, it's just getting some of that neuromuscular connectivity back. But the fitness was there. And so, um, you know, for us, the Elliptigo, as far as I've seen, has just provided this really, really approachable cross-training modality for, for runners who, who don't like being stuck in a gym, for runners who, you know, it's, it's the evil word. Cross-training is an evil word. You don't want to say it. You only do it if you hurt. It, if you are doing it, it means you're hurt. It doesn't have to. Um, I think there's a ton of, of applicable benefits to proactively cross-training so you can stay healthy and consistent, but injured runners no longer have to take a step back in their fitness. Um, we did a, a study with Ohio University recently, and uh, the, the literature is just being published here in a few weeks. Um, but it basically, they took a comparison of, of runners and then matched elliptigo training over an eight-week time period. And they did pre-tests and post-tests across 5K time trial, VO2, RCP, LT, and AT. And what they saw were equal improvements between the two groups across that eight-week time period. <laughs> 
even in the 5K performance, which was unheard of, better results than we ever thought would happen. Now, I think if you drag that out over a really long period of time, I don't think those results hold up over over time because I think some of that neuromuscular connectivity does start to go. But injuries typically don't last more than six to eight weeks for the for the common injury, the Achilles, the plantar fasciitis, the stress reaction, stress fractures, those sort of things. So here's a modality that you can use to not only maintain but potentially increase fitness across some of those injuries. As long as you can do it pain-free, why not? That's great research. Yeah. Great research. When can we read it? Uh, soon, soon. So it just, I, th- I believe it just got accepted in, uh, I'll have to double check on the journal, but we'll make sure you, you guys know about it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that would be great. And I will put a link to um, all, all, well, all three of the websites, I guess, uh, Alan's blog, Linda's Complete PT website, and the Elliptigo website for our listeners at runnersconnect.net forward slash cross train. Um, and yeah, great, <laughs> great research there, um, Darren. And uh so could you just tell us a little more about um, where people can get a hold of this or, you know, what, and obviously they're kind of new coming out now. I mean, uh, professional runners have them, but can, is this for everyone? Can our listeners kind of, if they are interested, get a hold of one? Absolutely. I mean, it, for me, I actually think that while professional athletes uh, are using them widespread, uh, the biggest application for the Elliptigo is not only kind of the, the recreational runner who's either come to the sport late or is trying to reach that next level, but they're also working a 40, 50 hour a week job. And, you know, they've got the stress that's kind of impeding their stress rest cycle from that. Um, but even down to, to something Alan touched on earlier, which is high school level athletes. We have a lot of elliptigos with high schools, colleges, and universities now. And, and one of the reasons is, is because high school runners, they're fast. Have you ever, have you ever gone to a, like a high school and seen a high school kid sprint across the playground? They make me feel so old and decrepit now with how nimble they are that it's, it's impressive. I mean, high school kids are naturally very, very explosive, and that, that needs to be fostered. But what the main development that I think causes some, some discrepancy in high school athletes is the aerobic aerobic development and how that comes along. Alan had a great background in aerobic development from all of his years of swimming. And I've seen a lot of athletes who have forced the 90, 100 mile a week um, distances in high school in their junior, senior year. And when they get to college, they just have nowhere to go. And that improvement stops. And so um, we're really happy to see a lot of high school coaches adopting cross training a little bit earlier to help build that aerobic side so that they can focus on a little bit more of the, the explosive, the dynamic, the, the anaerobic and the lactic side um, with their athletes out on the track. I think that's the best way to build a high school athlete and leave them room for improvement. Um, so that, that kind of covers the spectrum. But for, for kind of the, the recreational, the competitive runner out there, um, it, we definitely, you can go to our website to check them out. It's elliptigo.com, but we also have about 300 retailers uh, nationwide. So you can go, you can test ride one. We think that's the best way for somebody to understand the applicability and benefits is just to take one out for a ride. Um, if you go to our website, we have a dealer locator. So you can type in your, your city, you can type in your, your zip code, whatever it is, and they'll pop up what the closest dealer is. And you can go to a dealer and test ride, you know, around the parking lot, around the block. And sometimes they'll let you take one out for like a 20 minute ride. So you can really kind of get the heart rate up, get sweating, feel the workout, feel the burn and, and just get an appreciation for what it can provide. Definitely, definitely. I, I 100% agree with you with the test ride. And I have to say, I did actually, uh, I, a friend of mine, Jeff Karen, who I'm sure many of us know, um, it actually took me and my fiance on a, a test ride. And that was it. 
once I tried it, I wanted one, and we got, we've got one now, and I can attest to everything Darren's saying. It's it's well worth it, and it does not feel like it's a chore. It, it is fun to do, and it's definitely a huge part of training where you can, especially if you're one of those people that can't get the high mileage that other runners can get. So great, <laughs> great thinking there. Um, okay, let's just switch a little bit. Uh, Alan, can you tell us a little about swimming and uh, what kind of workouts people do or what how people can incorporate swimming as one of these cross-training tools? Yeah, it, it's... Uh, the, the downside to swimming is that you don't get... Um, you don't get you don't get the, the same neuromuscular pattern that you would for for uh, in water running or and and using it, using an elliptico. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I my what I benefited from uh, was it I was able to go harder, um, push push myself deeper. Um, for a couple of reasons, number number one, I, I was able to. Uh, um, there's 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 a third component that swimming adds that adds to adds is uh, your breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're running and you're cycling and even water running for that matter, you can breathe whenever you so please. Whereas when you're swimming, you can only breathe at the <laughs> most every other stroke. Um, and so there's 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 a coordination. Um, there's there's the arms your arms your, the coordination between your arms and your legs um, that you get with running and, and even cycling um, and elliptico um, but then you have to coordinate that third part your, the breathing part um, which I thought was was something that I I, I benefited greatly from because um, it, it 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 taught it was a it was another mental thing where you had to uh, um, in a sense kind of be calm, learn how to be calm and push really hard at the mm-hmm. same time. So there's this, this breathing in and out, in and out. There's, a, there's this whole rhythm to it and you have your whole body, like everything is all coordinated there. And so there, there, there was a big part of that. And if you went too hard, if you pushed over too, too, pushed too hard, you can only breathe so quickly and, and, and if, if you you learned very. You, you'll learn really quickly that how how to judge that effort. And was and as a distance runner, it was very useful for me to, to 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 do that. That way, when you when you went back and you went back to running, it, you had you had that sense of, of pace and, and effort um, that 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 was that that I found was was even difficult to, to, to simulate even as a even as a runner. Um, and so that's why. Uh, I, for a few, for for those 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 years when I did a lot of cross training, along with my running, like not not because I was injured, but because I felt the value, I I saw the value in that, because um, uh, I saw the results. Number one, that's that was the biggest thing, and I think that that's what's that's that's sort of the 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 snowball effect that's happening where people see the value in it, and so then when they go and they do these workouts, it's, it's not as boring. You know, you're gonna get something out of it. Um, and and I and I, I can almost push myself. I can push myself harder because I I didn't. You don't need nearly as much rest. The rest for swimming is much less. Um, my gosh, maybe a third to a quarter of what you would get. I mean, we would we would uh, uh, rest for, rest in swimming workouts uh, is measured in seconds, not not in minutes. Um, we would I would do threshold sets where you'd be getting. 
10 seconds rest between minute and uh, hundreds, which would be about a minute. So you do 10 times 100, which would be the same as doing 10 times a 400 on the track with 10 seconds rest, or maybe 15 seconds rest. <laughs> um, and because your heart rate comes down so much faster in the pool. It's non-weight. As soon as you stop effort, you're, you're, you're in space. You're non-weight bearing. Uh, there's a hydrostatic pressure. Um, it cools you off. You're in, a, you're in an ice bath. <laughs> so your body temperature goes, goes plummets much, 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 much faster. So your heart rate um, comes down faster. So you have to keep that in mind when you're doing swimming workouts. Um, and at first, it's scary for runners. Like runners get in there, they're like, "Oh my gosh, you only get so much rest." But it, <laughs> it, it, once you get into it, you're like, "All right, now I understand." Because if you know, I, swimmers would be, you'd ha, you know, you tell them to have like two or three minutes rest, and you're sitting there like twiddling your thumbs. You're like, "Are we going yet?" And I'm, I'm getting <laughs> here. You know, like, can we go? You know, the, the swimmers actually complain when there's too much rest because you're in there and the water is kind of cold. And you got to yeah. so. Uh, you know, I, I we and, and you can you can handle so much more. I would do, I could, you you do. I would I, during my competitive swimming days in middle school and and doing some of returning to some of those competitive swimming workouts um, uh, during those cross training times. We you would do enter, in, intervals every day, sometimes wow. twice, which you just cannot do as a runner. You're, you're the limiting factor is not your your musculoskeletal your, your skeletal your musculoskeletal um, system, it's more your, your, just the fatigue part, the systemic, the systemic part. And so you can push yourself. So I, could, I, I was able to do so much more intensity and handle, handle that than I could as, 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 a, as just purely running. And so I felt like I was like, I'm getting such a big advantage here. Like I was, I was getting such a big advantage. that I, I never did altitude training as a runner. Or I never had success, a lot of success with it. But I felt that during my peak years, that was sort of like it was kind of like my altitude, and I would have that in my training, and then I would take it away, and then I would just feel like I could run through a brick wall. <laughs> it was just amazing feeling. It, it was it was sort of a similar effect to it. it. It was like you know this you know there's studies on when to come out of altitude and you know sort of. You do it two days before, or ten days before, or four weeks, or whatever. It was kind of the same thing. I would come out, and then like about two, about two weeks later, once I kind of recovered from that, that training, it was like blammo, and I was able to do things that that I was like, now I'm Superman, you know. And then I could do these awesome, awesome. Uh, uh, I would go, I would go have great races, then come back, and I would, I would still have that base that I built up, and I would be able to do all. Then my then then my running workouts were just turned up a notch, and then I would just I would sort of have this clunk effect, almost like a sprinter having when they do that do those resistance uh, uh, where somebody's where they're tethered and they're being held the first twenty meters, and they they have those release <laughs> those releasing mechanisms, and it just it's a, it would feel like I would just boom and spring forward in my fitness, and it was such a rewarding thing to to feel that happen. Um, so that that's one of the reasons why I, I was I, I really dove into the cross training. I love that all three of you literally picked up the same thing. Like you all kind of said from each different type of cross training, it's that same thing of when you got onto the track or got like running that you actually could felt strong. Like you said, it, it's just amazing. You all had different stories, but each one of you said the same thing that it was just 
you felt strong and more powerful and even mentally more confident than you maybe even would have had you been running continuously. That is, that's really fascinating to hear. And I think something Alan touched on that's really important for not only, you know, people running at the professional and elite level and everything else, but for every runner out there is um, how much when you utilize a cross-training modality as opposed to trying to force more quality sessions in running, how much benefit that can provide you and how much more you can actually do. You know, there's a lot of runners out there who either came to the sport late in life or are trying to get that next level to get that Boston qualifier if they're a marathoner or, you know, are trying to run a personal best, whatever it is. And if they try and do one more workout a week, they're going to get hurt. But that's because they're trying to do one more running workout a week. And so for a lot of runners, adding an extra cross training session as a quality session throughout the week is a really, really good way to take your training to the next level without pushing it over um, kind of that critical tipping point of injury and, and non-injury. And I think that's, that's really important. It's something I, I do with Sarah now. She doesn't do second runs anymore. She does, she does some form of cross-training as her, her second workout, typically elliptigo. Um, but one of the things we've done is some of those second workouts, especially after a hard track session in the morning, is a lot of the times some sort of threshold effort. At, via cross training so it's either you know it's either some some long hill climbing on on the elliptigo or um she's actually done a lot of the the shallow water pool running um we did a lot of it when she was coming out of her broken metatarsals to try and get uh, some of those ground reaction forces back in um once she could handle them, um but but not have full impact so she could start doing drills high knees you know heel flicks karaoke that sort of stuff in the water and engage musculature um, but she now, for second workouts, she's actually getting more quality sessions in and more volume, even though she's removed that running aspect and it's helped keep her healthy. And I think for, for most runners, trying if you're trying to increase quality within a week's time frame, cross-training is the way to, to start to do it. It's, it's the safest way to approach it and you're going to still get those physiological benefits. We've uh, demonstrated today that, you know, it doesn't necessarily even matter which form you do as each have their own potential benefits and you don't even have to pick one over another you can it's more the combination of all of them or you know whichever one you have access to depending on what your resources look like would you would you all agree with that or does anyone have any other thoughts on um whether you know one matters over the other or i mean obviously you don't want to you know offend anyone else but is <laughs> we all kind of come to an agreement that this is you know it doesn't matter which form you use I think you summed it up very Absolutely. nicely, Tina. I think, I think you got that. The thing that I realized is that all, all of us are preaching to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> we all hopefully hopefully there's a larger choir out there listening. I only realized this probably a month and a half ago. So I, I'm, uh, I'm only just coming to that realization. So this, is, this has been eye-opening for me that I'm doing the, the right thing here. And then I think we've also kind of demonstrated that you don't necessarily have to spend uh significantly more time doing any of these methods i mean um i always kind of thought in the past that it was like two to one you had spend two hours cross training for one hour of um running but i think we've kind of shown that um each of those forms if you do them in the right way are just one to one as you mentioned darren yeah i mean a lot of it's intensity related right just just like it any, any type of running can be intensity related. It's, it's same with cross training. If you're just getting into the pool and kind of leisurely going through the motions or getting on an elliptigo and kind of casually pedaling along or on a bike, yeah, it might take longer to reach those benefits. But if you're, if you're putting in the effort and, and you're trying to replicate 
um, the the intensity that you would be in a, in a session, then yeah, it, it can be one to one, and and we've seen research on that in multiple modalities, and it's it's a great find. Mm -hmm. And uh, Darren, is it when you do the hard workouts? Do you keep the resistance high, like it's more difficult to pedal, or do you keep the cadence kind of? Uh, I guess whichever way around it would be high or low. Yeah, so we we focus on cadence a lot, especially when you're doing like hill repeats with the elliptico. I one of one of the hardest things to teach a runner when they jump on an elliptico, a bike, whatever it might be, is how to use gears that are outside their body. And so, um, you know, a lot of runners want to try and muscle through a really high gear when that's probably not the most efficient means of getting a balanced aerobic structural and muscular workout. Um, so like when, when we're out riding our elliptico around town, the focus is whether you're going uphill, downhill, whatever, is to adjust the gearing accordingly so that your cadence stays relatively the same. It's just like if you're going for a run over hilly terrain, you talk about constant effort, right? You don't necessarily get to a hill and sprint up a hill so you can keep the same pace that you would have been keeping on a flat or a downhill. You adjust so that your heart rate doesn't, doesn't spike and drop and spike and drop. You try and keep your heart rate kind of flat line throughout. And so same thing when riding a bike or riding the elliptico, you, you want to try and adjust so that you can keep that constant cadence. It allows you to keep that nice level, steady heart rate for those long periods. And then if you are trying a quality session, obviously you're trying to force controlled peaks and valleys with your heart rate um, in, in durations that, that match what it was you'd be doing on the track. And which gear would you have it in if you were doing a high intensity? Uh, so if... Again, it depends on if I'm climbing hills, right? Okay. So if I'm doing hill repeats, then I'm going to probably be down into like gear four or five. Uh, and I'm going to be, be climbing hills in that. The steeper the hill, obviously a little bit lower the gear. Mm -hmm. um, and it also a little bit plays into how long the hill is. If you're doing short little 90 second hill sprints, I might actually be in gear six and, and pushing through a little bit more resistance and really sprinting on the go and really trying to push through the resistance of the pedal stroke to engage the glutes and the hams and a lot of those push muscles. Whereas if I'm doing long mile repeats, two mile repeats up a hill, and it's going to take me, you know, a few minutes to get up. I'm more focused on keeping a nice high rhythmic cadence, keeping my turnover nice and, and steady and getting that heart rate up really high and then holding it kind of in that steady 180, 190 range mm -hmm. and then coasting back down, letting it recover and hitting it again. And one of the things I always find that that is really cool is I usually spend uh, no more time out there, but I get in a lot more repeats, not only because I'm climbing the hill quicker, but I don't have any of the pounding coming down the hill. So I can get more high intensity efforts and I can climb more times in that same time frame that I would have typically done that, that running hill workout. And so um, you can get a little bit more time at intensity. Yeah. And Alan, how about uh, with swimming? Uh, do, do, do you always do, you know, short repeats like you mentioned, or did you kind of do some continuous, like, you know, swimming a mile at a time, or is it always kind of high intensity? Uh, it, it, Generally, the, the the workouts that I would do would it, it would be it would be broken up um, a, a little. We, we, it was more interval based. Um, uh, one of the reasons is uh, that swim, swimmers will do that is uh, because you don't want you don't want to practice. Swimming is so technique so technique driven that you want you want to make sure that you you have good technique, and so um, you you give yourself little breaks to make sure that you're not ever swimming poorly. Um, so, um, and this is just from my days of swimming where you know, I was focusing on, you know, stroke technique and, 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 and making sure I was improving as a, to be a better swimmer, not, mm -hmm. not focused on running. So those workouts were usually designed for that, 
with that in mind. Um, now I, I, uh, I, I simplified things for myself. Um, when I was a runner, I, I, I did very basic workouts, um, that, uh, I, I did do some, some more classic. I did go to do mat, go to some master's group swimming and do classic swimming workouts. Um, which are crazy and intense, but eventually I, I just I simplified it, and I would just do what would be the equivalent of uh, like a distance run effort, um, where I would just swim swim two hundred swim two hundred yards, and then use a kickboard for two hundred yards, um, uh, and I'd just alternate two hundred swim, two hundred kick, swim, two hundred kick. So you for kept an hour. going, yeah, the whole time. And so I would be like, okay, that that was the same as running for an hour. That's kind of that. That's how I saw it in my mind. Um, uh, just as a as a mental thing, uh, whereas the, the higher intensity uh, uh, swimming workouts, I I, I, di- I did do those where I would you know I'd be doing you know you, you know fifties hundreds two hundreds uh, which would be the equivalent of like two uh, um, two hundred meters four hundred meters eight hundred meters mm-hmm. uh, on, as a runner um, in terms of time, um, but those would be a short short rest. Uh, yeah, like I said, sometimes. Five, five, five to twenty seconds rest in between mm-hmm. sets, and you'd have multiple sets of those um, in, in, a, in a session. Yeah. Um, but there, there's Here's what those... I want to know about swimming. Why am I always so hungry when I get out of the pool? <laughs> swimming makes you so hungry. Even yeah, pool it's... running makes you really hungry. What is it about the pool and about water that makes you so hungry? <laughs> it's just water in general. You get out of the ocean after bodyboarding or surfing, and you're starving there too. Just getting out, you're hungry. I, I totally. I'm with you on that. <laughs> There's got to be a metabolic rate study there somewhere. I mean, somebody's got to have have research on why why you're you're famished when you get out of the water. I'll get our uh, guy who does our articles to research it, John Davis. <laughs> okay, so so just to sum up about cross training, um, could you? I would like each of you to give one piece of advice regarding cross training. Your best piece of advice you have. So, Linda, do you want to start for us? Yeah, I could start. Um, you know, I write books with Dr. Robert Clapper. We have a new book coming out in October. It's called Heal Your Hips. And um, he has a radio show every Saturday morning on ESPN. And he's always talking about cross-training. One of the things that he says that I have come to believe with him is that the reason we see so many injuries in, let's say, professional basketball, and that's one that he was talking about most recently, is because they play basketball all year round. They don't do anything but play basketball all year round. And so if we want to avoid that NBA stigma, the not, that, that cycle that they're in of so many injuries, or NFL, you know, why do some other things. Change up the things that your body is doing so you aren't doing the same movement with the same muscle repeatedly and, you, and the same joint isn't taking the same impact all the time. But you take the forces off the weight-bearing joints. I like to get in the water. I want to try your elliptical. But I, is it scary? Is it hard to learn how to do it? No, so I, what we hear from everybody is that it's easier than they thought, but a tougher workout than they thought. Okay, well, I'm going to try that too. I mean, I, I haven't tried it yet, but I love cross training. And I, every morning, actually every day when I finish one workout, I figure out what I'm going to do the next day. I'm one of the baby boomers, you know, and, and one of the things in the book that Dr. Clapper and I wrote is a whole section called Age Size, how to exercise <laughs> for your decade, you know? <laughs> And the baby boomers are coming up to Medicare age now, you know, and it's like, okay, not so much running. So I, can, I only get my, give myself one to two running workouts a week. The others have to be hiking, biking, mountain biking, maybe elliptical is my future. <laughs> hey, we, we heard it referenced as ellipticizing recently. So maybe that's, maybe there's a play on there. 
You know, when it gets into the vernacular like that, you know you're on to something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's funny. And uh, Linda, I just wanted to, you just made me think about, uh, you said about, you know, doing it for every sport. And it kind of, uh, I don't know if any of you read the article, but the women's uh, soccer team that just won the World Cup, they, yes. it was, it came out that they were all multi-sport athletes. So that kind of goes along with oh. what you just said. Yeah. There's actually a great article about it. So I will put a link to that uh, on the show notes as well. So, um, Darren, do you want to go next for uh, your piece of advice? I mean, I think my biggest piece of advice would be that cross-training is not a dirty word. Um, (laughs) I think that, you know, for for most runners, I think the thing you have to focus on is if you're focused on a run-specific goal, um, sometimes the best thing to do is not run. (laughs) And and the key is to stay healthy and consistent. I think Meb after Boston actually said it the best. He said, if you can stay healthy and consistent, you will perform. The results speak for themselves. And, and that's his mantra. That's been his mantra since college when he was riding, you know, a rickety mountain bike around Mission Bay for his cross training days. You know, there's there's a reason um, that we we have a great relationship with Meb. He's just a believer in that approach and a proactive approach where you don't wait till you're hurt uh, to actually get into cross training. You make it a part of the routine so that your routine can be really solid and holistic and help you reach that next level of performance so it's not a dirty word folks cross training is good for you <laughs> good advice there and alan <laughs> uh, gosh you guys still you still only want my one-liners but i think i got i think i got one more i got one more left <laughs> i got one more in the, one more bowl in the chamber uh it, the, the the simplest way i can put it is a workout is only as good as your ability to recover from it Great. And so you cross training is such a great tool to continue to progress while you're recovering from a different type of workout. And so and that's and that and if you if you take that motto and apply it then you 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 will succeed just like Darren said and it's 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 that simple. Yeah, and Absolutely. I've had a I've heard a lot recently, and we just had an article about it actually that um, it's not so much overtraining, but it's under recovering. That's what it comes down to. Um, so, Alan, I'm sure my listeners are gonna um, kill me if I don't ask you about. Could you just tell us about um, the day of the American record? So, just want to kind of end on that because uh, oh. they'll be mad at me if I interviewed you without asking. <laughs> Oh, now now I'm really racking my my memory banks here. Oh. <laughs> um, I mean, that was, that was a special day. I mean, the the race itself was, gosh, so simple. I mean, I it was a paced race. Uh, I, there was two rabbits. It was a very very small meet that we set up because um, I was running so well, and I and I wanted to take. I, I, I it was a, it had been a goal of mine for from the time I started running to get um, the American record at that time. To get to get the American record, yeah. Well, I, I guess it became a, 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 a it became a goal of mine s- since high school, since I since I graduated from high school. Um, that's when I really believed that I could do it. Um, and I the the pacemakers went out, and I just locked on behind those guys. It, it was only uh, eight, I think only eight people in the race, um, just enough to make it legal, <laughs> um, because uh, I, I had. I just come off a, a big win at the Rome. At the Rome, uh, they called them Golden Leagues back then. Before this is before the Diamond League, um, and uh, but uh, so the, the the Paris Grand, the Paris Golden League, 
I, I won that, and I, the next one was the Rome Golden League. Um, but uh, you know, my agent uh, asked them to change change it from a fifteen hundred to a mile, and they said no. And I said, okay, I'll do it myself. And we found this really fast track in in Belgium, and uh, we we found a couple good pacemakers and put them in front of me, and they took me. They, uh, the first guy went through 800. Um, he's, uh, I was worried that the second pacemaker was falling off because in the second lap he kind of let a little, little, little bit of a gap form. Um, but he, 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 he tightened, tightened it back up. We came through 800 at about 152 in change. Um, uh, this is for 800 meters. And then the second guy took me through 1,200. Uh, I came through. Came through twelve hundred. I came through with a lap to go, so twelve hundred and nine point three meters, at two fifty point zero. So I think we were probably two forty, two forty nine, two forty eight high um, at twelve hundred meters. Um, I, I felt, I felt great the first lap, and then it, it, it was a it was a slow progression, uh, in terms of how it felt, how the how, the burn. <laughs> I would call it, you can call it. It was it was a slow progression, but by the time I got it to, you know, a lap to go, um, I think I, I would say I was probably I was hurting more than I I, I I remember feeling in the race because I was just so inspired by the moment. I would say I think I was running through things that that I was pushing through, putting my body through more than I thought I was, just because I was on such an emotional high that my brain was just completely shut off the pain gauge um it it wasn't even registering that that was going on in my body um and i you know with the lap to go i i had something left i knew i had i knew i had something left and just went i just let it i let it fly (laughs) and even though i was uh i turned up the intensity of my effort, um, I actually ran almost perfectly even splits. Wow. I, if you convert them to 440 yards, my split times were within three tenths of a second, I, I, if I remember correctly. Um, so it was it was even Steven, baby. It was even Steven, but it, 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 it doesn't feel that way. You, you feel like <laughs> somebody, you know, and, and by the end, I would say, uh, the, the, you know, the pain gauge was there, and I, I was hurting pretty bad, you know. Felt like my body was, 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 was in an oven. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're, I was just so inspired by the moment to, to be doing something special. It's, it makes running through that discomfort. It's, you know, it's, it's a second, it's a secondary thing that, that was more just a measure of my gas tank to help me pace myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I finished that race and, uh, um, it was, it was one of the few moments in my career where, I had set such an extremely high specific goal. I had worked hard, and I accomplished that goal. And um, it, the, the, those those are special moments. And um, I love telling that story because that, that can happen for anybody. It doesn't it doesn't have to be the American record. It can be any. It can be whatever athletic goal you have. Um, mine just happened to be sort of a little more public than than, than most people's. Um, but it was. It was such an such an amazing moment in in my life, and um, even though for for the years between then and, and when I 
finally walked away from running. I, I didn't want to believe that that was the last time, but in retrospect, you know, it was that was my moment, and um, I'm pretty proud to to have have worked hard for to have worked worked hard for that, and um, it's a it's it was a a, a a culmination of my whole life, my whole life's running training and in preparation. So it was it was it's a very very gratifying moment. Yeah, you did what every runner like dreams of doing, accomplishing that ultimate goal. That's that's amazing story. What a what a way to end it. That I'm glad you shared that with us, and thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so I just have one question, which has nothing to do with anything um, that we've talked about today, but I do ask all the guests on the show. So if each of you could give me one word to describe what you would like to become, accomplish, or achieve in your life in 2015. And beyond, what would it be? So uh, I guess uh, <laughs> I guess if we just start with Alan, do as it's easy. I would I would like to be happy. Good, perfect word. That's the good word. Is there a reason why, or just we'll leave it at that? that well, because that that's just that's 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 always been my goal. Okay, that's perfect. Great. All right, uh, Darren. Uh, so I don't know if mine was for 2015, but I've always said that whatever I do in life, I want to make a difference. So, you know, whether it's, it's helping people, uh, to, to train better and, and make a change in, in their approach, or it's, you know, just kind of helping people be happy. Maybe I'll help Alan be happy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but have, I, yeah. I just, I want to, I want to matter. And so I put a lot of effort into anything and everything I do, because I think, it's it's important to try and, and matter into something outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's pretty clear. You've made that pretty clear today. So you're doing it so <laughs> far. <laughs> and Linda? Well, one word. I guess we all continue to talk instead of give one word. So I get to talk too. Um, I love to inspire okay. others. And I have a new online aquatic rehab course, and I have students in five countries around the world, and they're emailing me their homework assignments. I have a (laughs) 12-lesson course, and I'm getting to respond to them and guide them through their careers because, you know, I have all this experience. Why shouldn't I share it with everybody all over the world, and why should they reinvent the wheel? So I'm having so much fun inspiring other people as they're beginning their careers in aquatic rehab. That's fantastic. Perfect. Well, great. Um, I can't even begin to thank you all so much for your time and for talking to us today. It was absolutely amazing and we learned a lot and we saw about how important cross-training is. So uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, guys. It was really an honor to meet all three of you. Is anyone not convinced that cross-training will help them in their running? I know I only realised a few months ago, but hopefully the light bulb went off in your mind today. What a fascinating interview. There's so much insight on how we can get better. The links to Elliptigo, Linda's Complete PT website, and Alan and his wife Julia's blog can be found at the show notes at runnersconnect.net forward slash crosstrain. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. I'm so thankful for the kind reviews many of you have left recently, and it helps me believe I'm making the right choices with my guests. If you have not yet given us a rating, I really would appreciate it, and it will help us rise up the rankings in iTunes. And mostly, I really want to thank you just for even tuning in today. I know it's taken up quite a bit of your time today, but I really think you're going to get something out of it, and I hope you enjoyed it. 
If you have any suggestions for guests you would like to hear from or suggestions on how I can improve, I'd love to hear from you if you want to email me, tina at runnersconnect.net. So until next week, have a great week.